0: you're listening to vo stories episode 84 today's episode i'm talking with the vo queen bee i officially named her that debbie harada stay tuned hi i'm tina zaremba voice of her talent mentor and good old-fashioned storyteller i believe we all have a story to tell we can all learn from one another i created this podcast for you the VO artist who's ready to embrace all that your VO journey has to offer. You'll be inspired, informed, and transformed as you learn from industry experts, VO talents, and my insights from 15 years in the industry, having voiced national commercials to promos and everything in between. Success in voiceovers is more than just a snazzy voice, and this podcast will help show you the way. Thanks for listening. What's up, beautiful people? So today's guest, Debbie Harada, is an award-winning voiceover actor of national distinction. She's a career spanning four decades. She's voiced promos to narrated shows to everything in between. This interview to me is, well, it's the epitome of the value of saying yes, even when you don't know exactly what you're doing, trusting in yourself and a higher power, and persevering.
1: Here's our chat.
0: Deb H., thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, Tina, thank you so much for having me.
0: So why don't you tell listeners where you are based and how long you've been at voiceovers?
1: I am based in Seattle, Washington, for most of it, about, I'd say, 60% of my time here and 40% of my time in Los Angeles. And I have been in voiceovers for 47 years. <laughs> love it. So what's
0: the story to you finding
1: voiceovers? I grew up in a small town in Port Angeles, Washington. Was raised by a single mom in the 50s and 60s, 70s, and my mother never did remarry. It was I worked really hard in school, came time for college, I applied to Washington State University, and I was going to major in home economics because everything that was creative at my high school, that was all in the home economics department. I got accepted and I was ready to go. And then a recruiter from Gonzaga University came, and he was talking to a friend of mine, and, and he just happened to take an interest in me. Long story short, I was offered a full ride to go to Gonzaga. Wow. Well, Gonzaga is a, a Jesuit school, and they don't have home economics.
0: <laughs> the well, did they have did... voiceovers what, what did, or theater? No. Or what?
1: Well, no. So, so I, I had to figure out a new major. Mm-hmm. So I decided I really liked communication arts, the process of communicating, you know, sharing meaning, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I majored in. And Gonzaga was really more of like a theory school. It was all book learning and But my senior year, they introduced a new program that was the uh, very first internship at the local NBC affiliate in Spokane, Washington. They had Mm -hmm. a TV station, an AM station, and an FM station. And the family that owned them also owned the newspaper. So there was a lot of um, communication right within that family. And I got an internship. So those internships went to three women. Wow. And yeah, that was really unusual, but very forward looking for the school and for the people in media, because at that time, really Barbara Walters and uh, Jane Polly were the only two on NBC, wow. and that was it. so yeah, so i I was accepted, and I started, and I'd been in my internship for three weeks. And I was putting in, you know, in internships, you put in lots of time, like, you know, they were 10 hour days and I wasn't getting paid for it. And I didn't expect to be, but a woman quit, was kind of quit, kind of half fired in our department. And the head of the department offered me her job. And wow. I'd only been, I'd only been there three weeks and I still, I still had to finish my schoolwork to graduate from Gonzaga, but I needed the money. <laughs> so that's, so I took, so I took the job. And I was a writer and producer in the promo department. Oh, God. I know. I mean, it was like literally in the history of my life, it was just actually heaven sent. So,
0: so- you started off on the other side of things then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I started out as the writer producer. Oh, man, Deb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and really hear the
1: melody and how the rhythm's supposed to go for everything then, I would think. Well, yeah, I learned that. I learned that. Of course, I didn't know it when I started at 20, but um, I I learned it. And then I also learned about myself that I had a lot of those things, the musicality, the sense of timing that I'd never explored. So anyway, that's how I started. But how I got on the mic was I had inherited a problem from this woman that had, had quit and the entire staff, which was all men, kind of were, they were boycotting her and I inherited that problem. They wouldn't, they wouldn't voice the promos. So Ah. I said to my boss, I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, he said, well, you go do it. And I said, I've never done this. And I was like, you know, this is a job. This is going on the air. I had no experience. I was scared to death, but he sent me over to the program director and he, of the AM and FM station. And they, that staff, that those guys were so nice. They kind of taught me, but you know, that was how it was done in the seventies.
0: So wait a minute, they would not air the promos that you were writing with other talents. So your boss said, well, you go and you just be the voice.
1: Yeah. He said, well, go do it. Yeah. So because, you know, and so I did. And so that was a pretty forward looking boss. Yeah. And so I did that. And what's really interesting now, after having been in it for 47 years, that was probably the very best, not the very best. But the best way to get into it on a ground level, because I had no experience. i really I had no acting background. Uh, and the the guy who was teaching me, he said, "Just be yourself and uh, think about a moment when you really felt in a really good communication with somebody." And I thought of my mom telling me stories when I went to bed. So that's how I started approaching voiceover, remembering those memories of my mom reading to me when I, before I went to bed.
0: I love it. So how did you, I'm just curious though, but how did you keep it real and connected when you think, and I think of promos, I think kind of pushed and yeah. um, excited energy. So how were you able to find that place within yourself where you're telling a person, but you're still having the energy go, come through?
1: Well, I guess, you know, um, and it was even back in those days, it was really the announcer read, right? So, so you're right. So, um, I guess what I did is, is I went over the top Mm -hmm. with that, um, read like an announcer read and I would get that out before I did the promo. Uh. And then, then I would just kind of let myself be. And I found, I kind of naturally found myself. I found my place.
0: So how long from that experience of you writing, producing and voicing did it take for you to land an agent? Did you start doing voiceovers as like oh. a side gig and then, you know, yeah. find an agent shortly thereafter or what was that?
1: Yeah, that's kind of um how it went. So I um first I was in that job for about a year and a half and then I was promoted to a full-time announcer on the staff. Then I worked in the AM station. I did stuff in in AM radio, around the board there. And and, and in FM, I did the newscasts and I did station IDs and I co-hosted talk shows on television and I did a newscast, plus I did promos and commercials. So it was really wonderful. I got all this experience in every genre. And because I was the only woman, everything would come to me. So um, after I left that job, I got another job in Seattle, Washington, at a radio station called kisw that was men 18 to 34 and i was morning news host for drive time and i was the news director for the station so i did that and then it was about uh after i'd been so going back to the very beginning i had it probably took me about nine years nine years to get an agent so i was at khq then i was at kisw I went back to Spokane for personal reasons. My mom needed some help and uh, I got into public relations and I actually became a creative director in advertising there. Then I came back to Seattle and when I came back to Seattle, I got an agent. So that was about a nine year time from when I was in the promo and then I needed an agent. I had taken a job with Xerox Corporation for four years as a, you know, sales executive.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I ran into a guy that I worked with at KHQ, who was a director, uh, and he was now the general manager of the ABC affiliate. And he asked me what I was doing. And he told me what to do to put my promo together. And in those days, I had reels, you know, and you just take mm-hmm. them to a studio, they'll put it together, they have a list, go see the people on the list. It was that easy. That easy. Wow, oh, I know. And, and, and so the <laughs> first one, the first one on the list was called The name of the company was Alcom, and it was the advertising agency for the Bon Marché, which is now Macy's. Mm. And I, um, I, I auditioned. I mean, they hired me to do a couple of things, and I, I was still working full time at Xerox, and in the evenings I was doing the on camera and the voiceover. Like you said, I always had a regular job and did voiceover. You know, so, um, but then there came a point. They hired me to be their spokesperson, and I had auditioned against LA and New York talent, and I got hired. And I was like shocked. The people at Xerox would go, "Didn't I see you on TV?" (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I go, "No, (laughs) no, she looks just like me. That's not me." So so I knew, though, I got to decide. Declare your major, Debbie. Are you (laughs) going corporate communications or broadcast? So I went broadcast. That's when I decided to do that full time. And that was um when I got an agent because I was selected as the, you know, this was a union gig that I had with the Bon Marche and I needed an agent. So that's when I got an agent. And, so- and a union gig in Seattle. I mean, which was like a miracle, Tina.
0: Wow. So did you so then you just went gangbusters full time? and on camera at that time. Yeah.
1: And yeah. And on camera at that time.
0: And you continued to stay in Seattle or did you move to LA? I
1: continued to stay in Seattle and um, which was a real miracle. (laughs) I did it from here. I look back on it, but anyway, I then had, I had an agent, you know, so the agent was getting me a lot of work and I did another little part-time job in, commercial real estate, which happens to be where I met my husband. But then we just said, no, I said, no, I'm going to stay on this a thousand percent. So then it really became voiceover. I, and I started producing. I've been a producer before, you know, I've produced videos. So I did some producing for a bank and, but I would still do voiceovers that, you know, with for freelance projects. And after um, I did that, and then I, I got married and had children and found that, you know, voiceover was so much better having children. You can go in we still went into the studio at that time. And then I could come right home, you know, to being a mom. So that's what I did. And at one point I said, you know, I'm not focusing on any on-camera. And now I was like 20 years into the industry. And there was a new uh, agency that was focusing only on voiceovers, which was in both ears in Portland. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And and Stacy Stahl was very forward-thinking. And so I joined that. And I told my agent in Seattle, I really want to focus on voiceovers. And that was really, that was a big risk, but I knew, I just kind of knew that I liked that. And through, through all this stuff of sifting down what I liked and what I didn't like finding your true life, you know, path. Yeah. That's what emerged.
0: So then how did you start getting more and more work from LA and decide to, cause you have, when we were talking before we started recording, you also reside in LA part of the time.
1: Yeah. So um, when you have, you know, to get the work, uh, living in, in a regional market, you have to have lots of regional agents. So I um, I really worked hard and I, I looked for that. And, and so I started getting represented in different, a lot of different regions. And then th- that kind of went into so much regional work that was now we're now moving into non-union work. And I was before a double scale union talent. And now I'm in non-union work. And it was just like, oh, no. And um, so I did that for as long as I could. And then I I made a decision that I really wanted to have an agent in Los Angeles and so I was. I started out with Solid Talent there and um, Vanessa Gilbert, which was TGMD at the time. And she's now at Solid. And I started there with, with them. And so then my daughter, this just happened. My daughter now is now 20 years. You know, she's now in her 20s, 25. And she got her master's in production and film production and film studies. And she decided I'm moving to L.A. And I, I, love I said, that. oh, I, I said, I support that a thousand percent. And then she asked all of her roommates fell through and she asked me if I'd be a roommate. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, Tina, because I wouldn't have gone out on my own, I don't think, to do just you gotta have the money and really the shit pod to do that. And I said, I'm married to your dad. I mean <laughs> He goes, I don't think he'd mind. So that's what I did three years ago. I we helped her move and then I moved down to LA then, you know, I said, well, if we're going to do this, I'm going to pretend that well, not pretend it was real, <laughs> that I am co-responsible for half of this rent and the utilities and everything. So I have to make the work happen. And <laughs> what was really interesting, Tina, is this is the time when I was, I know you're not supposed to say your age, but I'm going to, I, I had turned 65. So I was literally, I mean, I had to go see the union about retirement. And here I was starting this new thing down there. And um, uh, that's when I, I was working with a trailer coach and um, was recommended to uh, a manager. And I got picked up by the manager. And then I had representation in LA. And then I was working my ass off. And anything I ever did that I tried to convert things to union, you know, and, and I worked really hard at that. And that's kind of how it, then things started breaking for me.
0: How long ago was that, that you made the move where you have a place in L.A. as well? It
1: was about three years ago, uh, just a little under three years.
0: Before you got the L.A. agent, what was the lion's share of the work that you were doing in Seattle for voiceover?
1: Okay, well, you know, and then also I was on those pay to play sites too. Now I'm off of all of those. Um, but I did get some good clients on, on some of those uh-huh. sites. And I, you know, like I was a spokesperson for a mattress company and um, I did get a lot of political Uh, During the um, not 2016, but before that, I got a lot of political work. Um, So so I just had just random. It was just random. It wasn't
0: one specific lane. When you got to LA, was that when the promo stuff started happening? And how how did you find yourself in promo?
1: Yeah. So um, I've always loved promo, Tina. I mean, even when I was there at the TV station, I remember going to work and I just, I was like, this is where I belong there was a sense in me, this is home. I belong here and I love it. And I always just loved promo. So I started getting more promo work. Oh, and in between then, I'm sorry, I have to jump all over the place, but a little cool. bit, but, but when I was in Seattle, the guy who is the general manager for the ABC affiliate, he hired me and I started doing promo for the ABC affiliate in Seattle. And then, so I did that for a while. And then I left there and I also did it for the NBC affiliate and these were at different times. And then also for CBS affiliate. So I got a lot of promo experience here in the Seattle market. Then I went to work for PBS because that general manager had moved there and he hired me and I was there for seven years doing the promo for KCTS.
0: And this but is before you got the LA agent, I think right yeah. before
1: I got the LA okay. agent. And so, you know, at that time, so seven years at a PBS local market, I knew things were different and things changed in the, in the outer world of beyond Seattle. And I go, if I don't start getting kind of some training, I am just going to become a dinosaur and it's, I am not going to be able to be marketable. And that's when I started, I started coaching with people outside for the first time. And so I started getting more current. Mm-hmm. and then I produced those promos. So so now I'm just, if you can just leave all that information behind, I'm in LA and now I'm starting to get promo auditions for network stuff. So one of those promo auditions was for Klaus And Love Claws. Yeah. And I <laughs> love the show and I love the diversity of the women and the, the you know, there's a really deeper meaning behind all of that about so many different things. So that's I was the one who booked it and um I was really grateful and I didn't know where it was going to go but it's been a wonderful 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 experience working with a really forward-looking company TNT taking a risk on women and people of color and also focusing on a cer- certain socioeconomic place. Yeah. Yeah, and so I love that.
0: So and are you having to be you're having to be in the studio in LA for Clause I'm assuming, yeah?
1: Yeah, and then I also I can do that from my home studio here in Seattle, but I sometimes go here and sometimes to a studio, but when I'm in LA I go to a studio.
0: What would you say to someone if they say here's two questions. The first one is my time is past. I'm too old to make things happen in voiceovers. What would your response be to that?
1: Well, if you know that about yourself, that's a really good place to start. And so you're going to you're gonna have to look within and look without and see where the industry is and where you could fit into it. But what I would also say is you can always change. You can always change. The human being has great capacity for change. And the thing that's most exciting about today's world and they're like, I would just say, really, an influencer like Jody Gottlieb. Mm. Um, Love you know, Jody. I know. <laughs> and recently, she—I think she posted on Instagram and Facebook this quote, which is, "The best you will be the best take." So I would say, if you feel old and outdated, or you don't know where you are. It's time for you to rediscover yourself. Yep. It's time for you to look within. And find yourself and find your experiences and start to reacquaint yourself with yourself. Because what's amazing about today's industry is everyone's perspective and experience is welcome. And, and
0: it's having a strong point of view and bringing it to the table, not bringing what you think they want, but what you have.
1: Yes. And that is really scary Because there was a time when, of course, when I did the spokesperson stuff, I was in my late 20s and went up to my mid-30s, you know, and I was, that's not who I am now. Um, Parts of those things. So I had to rediscover myself too. So it's really an exciting time to be in voiceover and the doors are opening and there's so many, oh my God, back in the day, it was only commercial promo and narration. That was it when I started. Now there's genres within genres. I mean, there's e-learning and within e-learning there's medical and within medical, there's different kinds of medical. So there's so much opportunity.
0: So with that, what would you say to someone who says, because I hear this a lot from folks who don't live in um, a major city like New York or LA or Chicago here. Well, I'm not in the major city. I, I need an agent. I need an agent. I need an agent. What would your response be to that?
1: What you need is a good voiceover coach, mm. someone, someone who is really current, really experienced, really knows how to direct, has has a lot of great experience, someone who's really current in the um, industry, and do some research on who you think that person might be. And, you know, spend some money and invest in talking to someone first, Uh, you know, pick out three that you think would work and interview them, and then set some money aside to start getting back into it. There's so many great coaches now, but you are going to have to invest because you're starting out on a new career.
0: And it's your business.
1: It's your business.
0: Deb, how did you go about discovering your, it's used a lot, but authentic voice, your kind of signature sound or your true voice?
1: Well, I guess, you know, to discover the authentic, I guess I really lived an authentic life that just even as a little girl, I had a certain way, you know, you're born into circumstances of your life. All of us are. That's where you begin on the road of authenticity. So, you know, just be yourself and respond to things as you respond. For me, it was, I grew up in a beautiful part of the United States, Port Angeles. We lived near the, the Olympic Mountains and the Strait of Juan de Fuca were my front and back door nature there is. And back when I grew up, oh my God, it was just completely pristine and it still is. And then I also had the influence. So my spirituality, I really have always been this way is that I really pick up on energy, especially from nature. Mm. And and then I was lucky enough to go to a Catholic school where I was educated by really wonderful sisters. These were um, sisters of St. Joseph from Victoria, and they were actually kind of mystical women. They really were. So my spirituality really developed my inner, my inner relationship with God, and I found that at school and, and, and my church, and I found it in nature. So for me, that's how it started. And it was feelings. And I just recently, in the last few years, have discovered that I am an empath.
0: Mm-hmm. And an
1: empath picks up lots of energies. So that's, I, so when I look back at my childhood, that's what I was doing. I was picking up energies. I was being sensitive to energies and responding to them. So for me, uh, there were different experiences that I've had in my life. I've approached these experiences from a point of view of, Responding to energy and to kind of this inner guidance system I've had within myself.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, and I I I can relate of being an empath. Although I think at times for myself, when I didn't fully understand uh, or like my circumstances, I resisted them, and thus by not you know accepting and embracing some of the circumstances in my life, it held me back from being who I authentically am. It wasn't until I fully adapted everything that I was able to kind of go, okay, here's my voice like it or lump it. And here's me like it or lump it.
1: Right. That's, 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 I, that's great. Because also I had circumstances that um, quote unquote held me back. I had um, real challenges with you know being raised by in a single parent household you know really a challenge of of poverty i mean we, my mother worked hard and she worked hard for us but the challenges that come with a single parenthood are huge but i did have a mom who was really like fun to be with and kind of she i think she she was kind of magical and mystical and she was creative and so she brought a lot of that out of me but there were things that held me back I didn't even know if I was going to be able to go to college. So the fact that I got to be able to go to Gonzaga was a miracle and literally a miracle. So there've been other things and other things that held me back. I had some significant experiences happen to me at a very early age, which I have now resolved. And it's, and I find in that resolution, it is opening up even more inside of me. Yeah.
0: Yeah and yeah. that you're able to offer more through your voice and it, cuz it's you're right i believe that everything is energy so as you connect to those parts of yourself and i say yeah. you the collective all of us right. as we connect to those parts of ourselves that we've tucked away or cut off that just enriches our yeah. our energy and our voice it does mm-hmm. love, love it. <laughs> all right so my last question for you Maya Angelou says, words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with deeper meaning. So with that, what do you hope, Deb, your
1: overall voice conveys in work as well as life? I would want people to know that there is always hope in life. Things can always change. That there is a higher life force, a higher being. I'm comfortable with the word God. Other people may not be. But whatever you choose to name it, it's real. And it loves us deeply and creates us perfectly in every circumstance. And it will always renew us with, actually, I would say grace in every circumstance in life. And if you tap into that energy, you can learn how to forgive others and to forgive yourself, how to persevere. That you can change, and in that change, you can co-create yourself and then work with others to co-create bigger, beautiful things in the world that's so diverse and inclusive just by its very being. Mm. So, and, and the last thing I would say is when you're, when, it's, when you're in those dark times, it's always the darkest before the dawn. So you feel like you're going to give up hope and you just think, oh, this isn't going anywhere? Persevere. It will change. Thank you, Deb.
0: Guys, am I not right? That Deb is the epitome of saying yes to experiences that life presents to her. Even when she was unsure, she still said yes. And she went for it. May we all say yes more this week. Okay, until next week, here's to owning our voices.